faithful in the classroom, faithful in the workplace, faithful in the home, faithful at Thanksgiving dinner, faithful in all manners, God. Let your people be faithful, strengthened by your spirit, strong and courageous. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You may be seated. We'll ask Bill give updates on Realm this week as he finds out more about Gerson. Thanks for letting me know about that. Um, we're going to release the kids now. Some of you kids are in a new class. So we got a new class starting today. Um, there was a, a week within the last few weeks that we had way more kids than adults. So we have a lot of kids. We love you kids. Uh, thank you adults who pour into these kids week in and week out. We are grateful for you. Uh, one quick announcement for you. On March 25th, so not next Saturday, but the following Saturday, we have a work day on the property. Many of our like property team already knows about this. They already have like tasks that they're doing and working in the Hope Kids building and fixing drywall and all sorts of stuff. But we also just have a lot of need as we're making plans and praying about when would the Lord allow us to use that big building, 11,000 square foot building over there. We need to clean it out. And so we need helping hands to clean out that building. It's a big project uh, this coming, or not this Saturday, but the following Saturday. So if you'll mark it on your calendar, 9 a.m. on March 25th, we need a lot of help. If you are interested in that, have questions, you can see Samuel Johnson or Jimmy Gunther about the workday. Well, if you can open up to Joshua chapter 7, Joshua chapter 7, I mentioned a few weeks ago how much I like the end of Joshua chapter 5 because I do enjoy a good awkward moment. Some of you guys love that too. Joshua 5 at the end is an awkward moment. The commander of Yahweh's army says to Joshua, Joshua comes to him and Joshua says to him, Joshua says to this commander, are you for us or for our adversaries? And what does the commander of the Lord's army say? No. No. Are you for us or against us? No. The question is not whether God is on Joshua's side, but is Joshua on God's side? Last week, Christopher taught us from Joshua chapter 6 about how God defeated Jericho with the people of Israel merely marching around Jericho, blowing horns and then shouting, and God crushed the walls of Jericho. The Lord will fight for you. This is the Lord's battle. But what we find in Joshua chapter 7, our text today, is that if the people of God are not loyal to God, they will fall into the same judgment as the Canaanites, Amorites, Hittites, Gergesites, all the ites. They'll, they'll fall into the same judgment. Because is God for us or against us? No. Are we on his side? In Joshua chapter 7, we're going to start actually the verse up above that in Joshua chapter 6, verse 27. Then we'll read to verse 12 as we begin this chapter today. This is God's holy word. So the Lord, Yahweh, was with Joshua, and his fame was in all the land. 7 verse 1. But the people of Israel broke faith in regard to the devoted things. For Achan, the son of Carmi, the son of Zabdi, the son of Zerah, of the tribe of Judah, took some of the devoted things, and the anger of the Lord burned against the people of Israel. Joshua sent men from Jericho to Ai, which is near Beth-Avon, 
east of Bethel and said to them, go up and spy out the land. The men went up and spied out Ai. And they returned to Joshua and said to him, do not have all the people go up, but let about two or three thousand men go up and attack Ai. Do not make the whole people toil up there, for they are few. So about 3,000 men went up there from the people, and they fled before the men of Ai. The men of Ai killed about 36 of their men and chased them before the gate as far as Shabaram and struck them at the descent. And the hearts of the people melted and became as water. Then Joshua tore his clothes and fell to the earth on his face before the ark of the Lord until the evening, he and the elders of Israel. And they put dust on their heads. And Joshua said, Alas, O Lord God, why have you brought this people over the Jordan at all to give us into the hands of the Amorites to destroy us? Would that we had been content to dwell beyond the Jordan. O Lord, what can I say when Israel has turned their backs before their enemies? For the Canaanites and all the inhabitants of the land will hear of it and will surround us and cut off our name from the earth. And what will you do for your great name? And the Lord said to Joshua, get up. Why have you fallen on your face? Israel has sinned. They have transgressed my covenant that I commanded them. They have taken some of the devoted things. They have stolen and lied and put them among their own belongings. Therefore, the people of Israel cannot stand before their enemies. They turn their backs before their enemies because they have becoming, become devoted for destruction. I will be with you no more unless you destroy the devoted things from among you. Get Our loyalty to God is a serious matter. Our loyalty to God is a serious matter. Many critics of the Bible will read through Joshua and say, wow, God must be just doing like an ethnic cleansing with Israel, just wiping out all these different inhabitants of the promised land. But this passage shows that's not what's going on. God is not on Israel's side if Israel is going against God. Are you for us or for our adversaries? No. Yahweh is holy, holy, holy. And all the people are to fear the Lord. They're to turn to their maker and be devoted to him, worship him alone. So let this narrative of Joshua chapter 7 teach us today, or as Romans 15, 5 instructs us, that the word of God in the Old Testament is for our instruction, our encouragement, and our perseverance or endurance in the faith. Let this teach us. May God's word teach us today. Point number one, the defeat at Ai. The defeat at Ai. Chapter 6 ends with this miraculous defeat in Jericho. God's people are marveling at how Yahweh really does fight for them. That's pretty clear. You march around walls a few days, like super big. People live within these walls. These are big walls. And then, boom. And chapter 6 ends with the Lord. Yahweh was with Joshua. And then you turn to chapter 7. It says, but, but 
The people of Israel broke faith in regard to the devoted things. Oh, friends, this is discouraging, isn't it? On the heels of God's miraculous work, walls crushed, Jericho conquered, we find faithlessness in the people of Israel. As soon as God works, the world, the flesh, and the devil are there to spoil and dampen and darken and twist the very work of God. Don't you find that in your life too? The seeds are sown of the gospel. Things are starting to sprout. And what's the text when Jesus says, and Satan steals things, the cares of the world, crush the word. Satan is there at the very moment when God's working. They broke faith, the text says. That can be translated acted unfaithfully. It has the idea, the word in the original language has the idea of adultery. They cheated on God. They cheated on their husband. They broke, they severed the relationship. Achan sinned. And we will examine more of Achan's sin in a few minutes, but for now we must note that the anger of the Lord burned against the people of Israel, says verse 1. Not because of lots of sin, but because of one man's sin. Friends, we often talk about taking our sins seriously. But one of the reasons is because our sins affect everybody else. Your sin affects those around you. My sin affects you. We don't live isolated lives with our walls up around us and like my sin will not get any further than the little wall I put up. That is a lie. Our private sin affects those around us. Friends, sin splatters. So we must take our sin seriously. We we must not minimize our sin or overlook our sin or justify our sin. No, we must repent of our sin. And friends, that's the very thing. If you're in Christ, that's the very thing. Jesus says, come, come to me. I offer you this moment of repentance, his perfect life and death and resurrection from the dead allows you to do this. That's what 1 John 1, 9 says. If we confess our sin, he, Jesus, is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. That is good news. All sin must be justly punished, but it is either punished and it will be on us, or it is punished and it will be on our substitute, Jesus Christ. So friends, if you have hidden sin like Achan, oh, please repent. Please turn. Please run. Don't walk. Run to the cross where full forgiveness is found. Let's continue in verses 2 through 9 and see the consequences of Achan's sin. In verses 2 and 3, Joshua sends spies up to Ai. This is kind of the second city on their journey into the promised land. And most likely they turn to Ai because it seems like maybe a smaller outpost of Bethel, if you look geographically. They turn there because it's heading into the hill country. It is unwise military strategy to stay in the Jordan Valley where the Canaanite chariots can swiftly come and take them out. So we're heading to the hills here, which is wise military strategy. But the spies go and they report back that Ai 
AI is an easy win. Like if we're talking March Madness terms, Israel's a number one seed, AI's number 16 seed, right? It's like this is, this is easy win. Like everybody's brackets put Israel. Everybody's picking Israel here. We're not even going to send our whole army. We know from Numbers chapter 26 that the army at that time was around 600,000 warriors. We know earlier in Joshua that two and a half tribes that crossed were 40,000 warriors. So we don't know exactly how big the army is, but we know that 3,000, that's just like a fraction. We're just, we're, let's go, let's go. We don't even need to send many people up to Ai. This is going to be an easy win. Verse 4, so about 3,000 men went up there from the people, and they fled from before the men of Ai. The men of Ai killed about 36 of their men and chased them before the gate as far as Shabarim and struck them at the descent. 36 men, 36 troops dead. It's about a three and a half mile sprint from Ai to Shabarim. They're running for their lives. And some of their comrades dying. But not only are 36 troops dead, not only is this brutal and shameful because they just fought mighty Jericho and won, but look at what verse 5 says. It's not just the troops that fled that are affected by this. Look at verse 5. And the hearts of the people of Israel melted and became as water. Joshua was supposed to be strong and courageous. Strong and courageous. Strong and courageous. But now Joshua and the people of Israel are weak and frail and discouraged with melted hearts. They have joined the heart melting of the other nations before Yahweh. So what does Joshua do? What is this faithful leader of God's people who his stature has grown as Jericho has tumbled? What does this faithful leader do? He complains. He complains. What would that we had been content to dwell beyond the Jordan? Oh Lord, what can I say when Israel has turned their backs before their enemies? For the Canaanites and all the inhabitants of the land will hear of it and will surround us and cut off our name from the earth. What will you do for your great name? Joshua's concerned, Joshua's confused, he's grieved, he's lamenting. Those are 36 troops on his watch. Those are 36 of his troops under his command. He feels responsible, as he should. But it also seems that Joshua does something that's so very common and very wrong. He charges God. If something bad is going on, it must be God's fault. It wouldn't possibly be my fault or the people's fault. Commentators note that Joshua's speech to God is the often repeated form of human charges against God. You might actually start like, oh, I actually do some of this too. Here's some stuff. It'll be on the screen. Here's ways we, uh, the, that's often repeated in the Old Testament and maybe in our hearts and lips too. Why have you let this happen, God? That's the first charge. 
God, where are you? How could you break covenant with us? Second charge, we would have been better off where we were. Remember how good good the desert was? Oh man, beyond the Jordan, that desert manna every day? Forget the like lush, you know, milk and honey of the promised land. Man, we could have we could, we could have hung back there, which is the very thing that people in the desert said of like, remember how good Egypt was? Oh man, that was great slavery. It was wonderful. We like, you know, had work to do. We'd be better off where we were. Third charge, now we are disgraced. Look at us. We are shameful and they're angry and embarrassed and confused. Fourth, our enemies will build on this. God, our enemies are going to build on this and destroy us completely. If we can't handle little AI, man, as soon as the Canaanites get wind of this, we're going down. God, where are you? Forgetting days before Jericho's crumbled by God. Like, we're not talking about that now. It's kind of that what-if game we play when we're upset with what God has in our life. What if, what if, what if? What if, if, what if the Canaanites hear about this? What if the Gergesites hear about this? What if the Hittites hear about this? What about, right? It's part of the what-if game, this distrusting God. And then what will happen to your great name and reputation. Now, this could actually be a good appeal. Throughout the Old Testament, even some of the New Testament, you hear this kind of thing. This fifth one actually is pretty good at times. So we don't know Joshua's full motives, but with the other four charges, it seems like it's a little last groveling, as if God's reputation is linked to his people rather than his people being linked to God. Are you for us or for our adversaries? God's already told them. No. There's two other reasons why Joshua's complaint seems to not be honoring God. First is this is the same pattern of Israel's complaint in Numbers 14 and Numbers 20 that clearly dishonors Yahweh. And second reason we would assume this complaint is not honoring God is how God responds in verse 10. Look at verse 10. And the Lord said to Joshua, get up. Why have you fallen on your face? Israel has sinned. This is no godly lamenting. This is no, this is sinful complaining. Stop praying, Joshua. Stop crying, Joshua. Stop your groveling, Joshua. Get up, be strong and courageous. There is sin in the camp. Deal with it now. We don't usually sing songs about that. Like, get up now, stop your whining. Like, that's not a song we're going to write anytime. You can work on that, Christopher. That'd be a good exhortation song. But friends, we can complain. I mean, my heart goes out to Joshua here. He doesn't actually know what we know from verse 1, right? He's going to find that out, but he's finding out now from God telling him, no, there's sin in the camp. And how quickly, though, we can go to complaining when we don't understand the full story. God, where are you? God, why would you allow this to happen? God, we were far better back then. Why did we take these steps of faith? Why did we cross the Jordan? Why did we go toward Jericho? God, we're embarrassed. 
Friends, let us have a soft heart, a repentant heart of any complaining when we don't understand what's going on in our life. Because we can have faith in the midst of not understanding, or we can complain about what's going on and say, God, what are you doing? Why? And charge God. For God is not the author of confusion. He will show Joshua, and oftentimes he shows us. Sometimes he doesn't, and we won't know what's going to happen in the future. Or even as we get into the future, we won't know what, why he did something in the past. But friends, the reader knows something in verse 1, and Joshua is going to find this out. Point number two, the sin of Achan. Let's re- re-look at verse 10. The Lord said to Joshua, get up. Why have you fallen on your face? Israel has sinned. They have transgressed my covenant that I commanded them. They have taken some of the devoted things. They have stolen and lied and put them among their own belongings. Joshua, this defeat from Ai, this death of 36 troops is not meaningless. God didn't drop the ball. God did not fall asleep. These are consequences for disloyalty to God. These are consequences of not heeding God's commands. Joshua even told the people this in chapter 6, verse 18. But you keep yourselves. He's talking, Joshua's speaking to Israel right as they're getting ready to go into Jericho. But you keep yourselves from the things devoted to destruction, lest when you have devoted them, you take away any of the devoted things and make the camp of Israel a thing of, for destruction and bring trouble upon it. Everybody knew what would happen if they start taking the things from Jericho. They're to be devoted to destruction, or some of the things are to be devoted and put in the treasury of Yahweh. That was what's what's supposed to happen to everything. They were not to take any of the plunder. But Joshua will find out that Israel did not obey. So God speaks in verse 12, Therefore the people of Israel cannot stand before their enemies. They turn their backs before their enemies because they have become devoted for destruction. I will be with them no more unless you destroy the devoted things from among you. Get up, consecrate the people, and say, consecrate yourselves for tomorrow. For thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, there are devoted things in your midst. Oh, Israel, you cannot stand before your enemies until you take away the devoted things from among you. In the morning, therefore, you shall be brought near by your tribe. And the tribe that the Lord takes by lot shall come near by clan. And the clan that the Lord takes shall come near by household. And the household that the Lord takes shall come near man by man. And he who is taken, who is taken with the devoted things shall be burned with fire. He and all he has because he has transgressed the covenant of the Lord and because he has done an outrageous thing in Israel. The people are to consecrate themselves. They are to prepare themselves. They are to search their hearts. Consecration often, often include a washing, a, a ceremonial washing of, Lord, consecrate me, wash me as white as snow. For there is an outrageous thing, the text says, because there are devoted things in their midst. 
And friends, we've got to note something here. Don't forget this. Achan is hearing all this. Right? He says to the people all that's going to happen the next day. At this moment, Achan could come forward. He could repent. He could run up to Joshua and the elders of Israel and say, I did it. And he does not. And just notice again, this passage, the consecration. We've seen this throughout the book of Joshua. They've already talked about this a lot. There was a consecration of themselves before they crossed over the Jordan River. After the Jordan River, their men were circumcised to show not just outward loyalty to Yahweh, but a community heart loyalty to God. And then they celebrate the Passover together, remembering God's faithfulness and covenant of his people that they would be brought into the promised land. Friends, God cares deeply about the holiness and loyalty of his people. God cares deeply about the holiness and loyalty of his people. We must, as the text in in the New Testament says, we must watch our lives. We must be cleansed of impurities. And friends, one of the prayers of your pastors is that the Lord would cleanse us. The Lord would purify us. The Lord would discipline us if he needs to. The Lord would refine us how he needs to. The Lord would prune us how he needs to. The Lord would work and be pleased with the Risen Hope Church. Let us be a cleansed people for his glory and honor. Let sin be shown and repented of. Let us walk holy unto the Lord. And friends, thank you for being a people that take holiness seriously. We are not a church that lives just in in Jesus' name only. No, we want to walk out loyalty to our king. This is not about a southern Christian game. We're done with games. If you want to play the southern Christian game, repent of that or go to another church, for we don't play games here. We are serious about the holiness of God, for he is worthy. And friends, because our church pursues holiness, oh, we are a happy people when we're happy pastors. For we enjoy serving you and serving alongside you and saying, let's go hard after King Jesus, however he desires us to. Then we find in verse 16 through 18 that Joshua takes those steps. The steps he said earlier that we just read, now he does them. Verse 16, so Joshua rose early in the morning. A lot of commentators say, man, he is quick to obey here. He rose early in the morning and brought Israel near tribe by tribe, and a tribe of Judah was taken. And he brought near the clans of Judah, and the clan of the Zerites was taken. And he brought near the clans of the Zerites, man by man, and Zibdi was taken. He brought near the household, man by man, and Achan, the son of Carmi, the son of Zibdi, the son of Zerah, of the tribe of Judah, was taken. One commentator notes the, the net surrounds Achan. At any point, he could have said, it was me. The day before, even as tribes and clans and all this is coming, he says nothing. The net closes in as clans of Israel whittle down to the clan of Judah, to the Zerites, to Zebdi's household, to Carmi, and then to Achan. In verse 19, Joshua said to Achan, my son, 
Give glory to the Lord God of Israel. Give praise to him and tell me now what you have done. Do not hide it from me. Joshua's statement both seems like an encouragement for him to repent, but also an appeal to tell the truth. In John chapter 9, the Pharisees are asking somebody to tell the truth, and they say, give glory to God. Like, tell the truth. We appeal to God that you would tell the truth. And that's what Joshua is doing here. With God as my witness, Achan, you need to tell the truth. Verse 20, and Achan answered Joshua, truly I have sinned against the the Lord God of Israel, and this is what I did. When I saw among the spoil a beautiful cloak, from Shinar, which is a part of Babylon, and 200 shekels of silver and a bar of gold weighing 50 shekels. Then I coveted them and took them. And see, they are hidden in the earth inside my tent with the silver underneath. Achan admits his sin. He's stolen a Babylonian robe, he's stolen silver, he's stolen gold, but notice the language for which he says and defines what he did. I coveted them and took them. Friends, there's a normal pattern of sin that Achan shows here that we see in other parts of Scripture. Get this, I saw, I coveted, I took, I hid. I saw, I coveted, or I wanted, I took, I hid. In Genesis chapter 3, Eve saw the fruit. Then she wanted it, coveted it. Then she took it, and then what did she do? She hid. This is the pattern of sin. This is the pattern of spiritual adultery. It was Eve's and Adam's temptation. It was Achan's temptation. And it is our temptation. This is what breaking relationship with God looks like, and it will kill you. Adam and Eve brought death into the world. Achan brought death, we'll see, upon his family. He already had the death of 36 men. Many of us, for many of us, this may raise the significance and severity of coveting in our minds and in our lives. We may not think of coveting as drastic or severe. Friends, the definition of coveting is to yearn for or desire or lust after, or just a strong desire. It wants something that isn't yours. It's, it's the Lord of the Rings, Gollum. I must have the precious. I want it. And you see it take over. That's exactly what happened with Achan. But friends, we must note the insidiousness and demonic effects of coveting. Coveting starts with a a thought and a a seeing. I I saw, and then it turns to a want, and then it turns to a I must have. And it's internal, and it's almost imperceptible at first imperceptible. We must, we're aware of a little bit of it, but no one close to us is aware. And friends, notice this, it can happen to anyone. It can happen to the rich and the poor. 
We may think, well, Achan must have been this poor guy. He was taking some silver so he could provide food for his family. Oh, Achan, I, I understand you messed up here. No. In verse 24, you actually find out he had ox and donkeys and he had cattle. He's not even poor. He's hiding it in the ground. He doesn't even like, need it for daily living. sounds like an American. I want more. I want it. I can't get no satisfaction. Friends, this text is a warning, a caution to us. And it's a caution of satanic attack. For in some parts of the world, we prayed for a pastor in Haiti. You look at other pastors and people and missionaries and Christians across the world, and the way satanic attack happens is through persecution. In our part of the world, satanic attack comes through seduction. We are attacked daily through seduction. That's what's happening here. Seduction, materialism, discontentment, coveting. I want it. I must have it. And friends, we must repent and we must run from sin We must run from the evil of coveting because we are just as capable as Achan. Like, just as capable. And our passage then shifts to a really hard scene. But God's justice and judgment for sin is always hard to see. It's always hard to see. Third point, the cleansing of sin. The New Testament gives us some framework on how to look at this passage, Romans 6 Verse 23, excuse me, for the wages, the payment of sin is what? Death. Hebrews 9.22, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. Shedding blood always comes with sin. So look at verse 22. So Joshua sent messengers and they ran to the tent and behold, it was hidden in his tent with silver underneath. And they took them out of the tent and brought them to Joshua and to all the people of Israel. And they laid them down before the Lord. And Joshua and all Israel with him took Achan, the son of Zerah, and the silver and the cloak and the bar of gold and his sons and daughters and his oxen and donkeys and sheep and his tent and all he had. And they brought them up to the valley of Anchor. Anchor means trouble. The valley of trouble. And Joshua said, why did you bring trouble on us? The Lord, Yahweh, brings trouble on you today. And all Israel stoned him with stones. They burned them with fire and stoned them with stones. Achan's rebellion and spiritual adultery has consequences. Consequences on 36 troops of Israel whose families are left fatherless, women left widowed because of Achan. Why, Achan, did you bring trouble on us? The Lord brings trouble on you today. Now the judgment of Achan's sin comes upon his whole family, and they're stoned and burned. And let me just have a quick side note. As a dad of six daughters, okay? I think I have more daughters than anybody else in here. Six daughters, ladies. Single ladies, if God desires you to be married one day, who you marry matters. Like the sin of your husband will come upon you and upon your kids. 
so will the godliness of your husband will come upon you and bless you and bless your kids. Who you marry matters so much. And guys, we must run from little sins, little sins, little compromises that we think are hidden that won't affect any, anybody else. Those sins in your 19 and 20 and 21 and 22 years old that you think will have no consequences later. Wrong. If you don't repent of them, they're just going to grow. You're gonna keep feeding the monster. And guess who pays for that? Your wife does. Your kids do. We must repent and go to Christ. All right, I'm off my soapbox. Friends, loyalty to God is significant. Rebellion against God is devastating. And here's the thing. God wants us to remember this. God wants us to make eye contact with us. We might be like, oh, I like the God of love, not the God of judgment. God of love, not judgment. I just want to look at the God of love. No, he wants them to remember. How do we know that? Look at the next verse, 26. And they raised over him a great heap of stones that remains to this day. Then the Lord turned from his burning anger. Therefore, to this day, the name of that place is called the Valley of of acre or valley of trouble. This is another pile of rocks. This is more stones of remembrance. We've seen this over and over and over in Joshua. Stones of remembrance, uh, how we sometimes sing it in a song. It's an Ebenezer. We saw this with the stones coming out of the Jordan River that are on the bank of the Jordan River for people to remember. So when the kids would ask, what do those stones mean? Oh, God, stop the Jordan River and we cross. What about those other stones, that pile that's in the river? Well, that's where the priest stood, son, daughter. That's where the priest stood. What about those stones over there in that valley? Oh, man, let me tell you about Achan, son. Let me tell you about Achan, daughter. He wants us to remember Because God is faithful. That God is faithful in blessing and God is faithful in justice. He's faithful to care for his people and gracious to them. He's faithful in judgment. And friends, in chapter 7, man, if we pull back and we just started reading Joshua chapter 1 this morning, we just kept going in Joshua, there'd be two figures that would pop out to us that have a link here that we might miss. And those figures are Rahab and Achan. Rahab and Achan. These are two individuals that change teams. Look at what David Howard, a scholar, says. Rahab, a believing Canaanite, acted faithfully and was promised deliverance from destruction. In effect, she became an Israelite. Achan, a disbelieving Israelite, acted faithlessly and was not delivered but destroyed. In effect, he became a Canaanite. Friends, let us be warned if we think we're secure because our dad was a pastor, our mom was a missionary, we have a godly sibling, or we walked the aisle at age eight, or we got baptized at age nine, or we prayed a prayer, and our life looks nothing like Jesus. Be warned. The Bible has illustration after illustration of those who appear to be godly for a little while, yet prove to be unbelievers. Have you ever thought of Judas? He hung out with everybody for three years. 
No one thought, like when, when, when the, the Lord's Supper is happening and, and Jesus says, someone's going to betray me, like they're like, is it me? Is it me? They're, nobody's like, Judas, it's Judas. We all know. We've been wondering. It's Ju-. No, they don't know. Why? Because he appeared like everybody else. Demas is a disciple who walks with Paul, and then and in one letter you hear Demas is committed. In another letter you, you hear Paul say, Demas, in love with the world, walked away and has left me. Jesus even says there are those who perform miracles. They say, Lord, Lord, and Jesus says, I never knew you. Friends, these kind of passages are warnings. And let's just think about Achan here in the book of Joshua. No one suspected Achan. Like when Joshua's going to them, said, tomorrow we're going to like do all this stuff. No one's like, Achan, Achan did it. No one suspects Achan. Achan was in close proximity to godly people, so he appeared godly. Friends, be warned. You can be in close proximity to godly people and appear to be godly. Achan apparently consecrated himself beside the Jordan in Joshua chapter 3. Achan walked through the Jordan on dry land in Joshua chapter 4. Achan was circumcised in Joshua chapter 5. Achan took the Passover meal in Joshua chapter 6. Achan marched around Jericho, or yeah, Passover in chapter 5. Achan marched around Jericho in Joshua chapter 6. This chapter, Achan is a memorial of warning. He consecrated himself. He walked on dry ground across the Jordan. He got circumcised. He took the Passover. He marched around Jericho, and he's dead. From all accounts, in hell for eternity. A memorial of warning against unbelief and disloyalty to Yahweh. Christopher, if you'll come on up. Friends, this is a sobering passage. This passage warns us. This passage says, watch your life, watch your loyalty. And friends, if you don't know Jesus, if you've just been faking it, today is the day of salvation. Turn from your sins and trust Christ. Man, don't fake it. My mom would say for years she faked it. At age five, I don't remember this, but she told me she shared the gospel with me. And I started like praying with her and stuff like that at age five. She was not a believer. I was like, Mom, why did you share the gospel with me? It was a good thing for a mom to do. She didn't come to know Christ till years and years later. Friends, we can, we can fake it, especially in the South. Oh, we've got to be warned. Friends, if you're faking it, repent, for God knows. And friends, if you are a believer, examine our loyalties. Examine your loyalties, and where do we examine them? In hidden moments. In hidden moments. Remember, Achan did not commit murder. He quietly coveted. He took and hid. His rebellion was unnoticed by others, but noticed by God. He broke relationship with God, and his sin splattered on others, soldiers, his family, his kids. And friends, where does our sin splatter on others? And where, husbands, does your sin splatter on your wife and kids? Wives on your husband and kids, kids on your parents and your siblings. 
Where is it splattering? On your roommate, on your coworker? Where are the hidden sins of jealousy and envy and coveting and greed and self-indulgence and deceit and disobedience harming relationships right now? And we're just like, ah, those aren't really that big a deal. I'm not committing adultery. But what about these other things? Commentator David Jackman uses a phrase that I thought was very helpful in thinking about sin. Look at this quote. Sin must be rooted out with ruthlessness. Friends, we must have an edge here, a zeal, a passion to be ruthless. John Owen talked about this as mortification. Be killing sin or it will be killing you. 1 Peter 2.24 says this, he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree. So that we might die to sin, die to sin, mortification, die to sin, ruthlessness about our sin, attacking our sin, die to sin, and live to righteousness. By his wounds we've been healed. For we were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and the overseer of our souls. He became a curse on the tree so that we don't have to die on a tree. He died to sin so that we can die to sin. He lived righteously so that we can live righteously. And we, like sheep, have gone astray, everyone to his own way. And yet that sin was put on Christ, the substitutionary lamb, but also now the good shepherd and the overseer of our souls. Friends, our Lord invites us right now to the shepherding care that he gives. And if that's coming down here and praying and repenting of things, if that's talking to someone in your D group or your community group or your spouse or, or your roommate and God wants you to do business that way today, and that's the application for you of this text, let us do that. So let's stand together and let us sing together to honor the Lord.